Well, it's over. Last week, the 2018 legislative session careened to a halt, but not before a flurry of bills made it to the finish line, including some surprises. What bills are on their way to the governor's desk? Which ones died an ignominious death? Brian Ellison will explore how their impact may long outlast this session, and maybe even this governor, on this episode of Statehouse Blend, Missouri. I, I, I really, really believe that the most we're going to do this year is the budget, and I think most everything else is going to die on the vine. That was Representative Deron McGee on this podcast just a few weeks ago. We were talking about the investigations around Governor Eric Greitens, his impending trial for an invasion of privacy charge, a charge that's now been dismissed, and other potential trials, and of course a looming impeachment proceeding. Representative McGee predicted that even with their supermajorities, the Republicans weren't going to subject many bills to the governor's signing or veto pen. Didn't want to give the governor that leverage over them. And that prediction? Boy, it turned out to be very wrong. Not the case. Yeah. When the case was dropped, that was not the case. KCUR's Erica Hunzinger is an editor here. She's my boss. We both were following those proceedings very closely last Friday to see what bills would and wouldn't pass before the 6 o'clock deadline. And a lot of it is exactly what Republicans wanted. Good evening. This legislative session has truly been a historic success, not just in the context of this year or even for my time in the House, but this session has been the, mis- the most successful implementation of conservative reforms in the history of this state, bar none. That's Todd Richardson wrapping up his tenure as Speaker of the House at a press conference after the gavel had fallen. Forgive him for crowing a little, but he wasn't wrong. I would say it is Republican priorities. I mean, we're talking tax cuts and union restrictions. Some of them are also just pro-business, very much pro-business, especially um, for agriculture. Democrats pretty much agreed with Republicans about how this session went. They weren't happy with all the conservative bills that made it through. With less than a third of the votes in the House or in the Senate, there wasn't really much they could do. Good evening. I am Representative Gail McCann Beatty, Democratic leader in the House. From the beginning, the 2018 legislative session has been a session of scandal and with near daily revelations of alleged wrongdoing by Eric Greitens. Unfortunately, with Missourians' attention diverted by this sordid saga, Greitens' party used the opportunity to enact an insidious anti-worker agenda. A lot of those quote-unquote pro-business positions are often related to labor, organized labor, and positions that unions would very much oppose. One of those was the legislation regarding prevailing wage. Prevailing wage is the idea that municipalities have to pay the union-level wages for uh, public works projects, even in places where those might be higher than the wages that, that you could get someone to work for. Now, this is something that they tried to pass last year. I believe they even talked about having a special session to come after this. So essentially what happened this year is they they watered it down instead of getting rid of the prevailing wage entirely, which has happened in other states like Wisconsin. I mean, Mm -hmm. places that have really gone after public sector unions. Yeah, it's part of this package of uh, anti-union legislation. Correct. Um, So this year, the bill that did pass and is going to the governor's desk 
says that all but the most populated cities and counties will have to cut the prevailing wage. That means places like St. Louis and Kansas City will probably stay the same. Um, I think the, the one that we should really talk about is right to work has been essentially put on hold since last year. Right to work, it prevents employers and unions from requiring all workers in a bargaining unit to pay dues. Essentially, it, it lifts a closed shop, so, right. so-called, and makes it an open shop. So you can choose whether you want to join the union. And, uh, and thus, whether your, your money would go to support political aims of unions that you may or may not support. Correct. It would, it's seen as really weakening unions. It's also seen as something that Democratic voters tend to get more energized about. And so in a controversial move, the legislature voted to put it not on the November ballot, where it would be by default, but instead on the August primary ballot. The August primary ballot, which, you know, if you're paying attention to what's happening with the elections that we're having this year, the August primary ballot is where you're going to have a Republican uh, based, not a runoff, but a a fight, a Republican fight. Democrats, not so much. Um, So the Republicans are banking that fewer Democrats are going to show up to the polls in August and that right to work will end up becoming law again. One of the final day's big surprises, well, I mean, I, I did predict it in our preview show back in December, but I guess some people were surprised. Lawmakers did something that they once in a while will do. They slipped a big controversial measure into a completely unrelated bill as an amendment. And this was an important one. So interestingly, yesterday afternoon, I was watching kind of what was coming up on the floor. And there's a bill that basically was asking voters to approve a tax deduction for any prize when you win an Olympic medal. Right. And the Olympic in, Dream uh, Act or that's something. That's right. That's what we're all looking for. And then I clicked on it because they were doing an amendment. And that amendment was a 10 cents per gallon gas tax over four years. And it passed. So voters get a chance to raise the gas tax. That's going to end up bringing millions of dollars to the state for its transportation and its roads, which people on both sides say are crumbling, awful. You know, I think we're in the middle pack, if not below the middle in the U.S. of just how how bad the roads are. It was a little bit of a surprise, too, because it it didn't get included in the other tax-related proposals so that we really didn't think this was going to happen in the last few hours. Nope. So now it's up to you, voters. But speaking of taxes, uh, I feel like one of the the most major things, certainly something that will have an impact the most in the years to come, are the broader package of cuts to taxes that passed uh, all within the past week uh, of the session. Right. You know, we we talked a couple months ago with Elijah Har, who's the Speaker Pro Tem, likely to become the Speaker. He had a 429-page tax bill that uh, had a whole collection of proposals, um, reducing the personal income tax, reducing the corporate income tax, raising fees on vehicle licenses, and changing the way that uh, taxes are collected from online business. It was this whole complicated package that he said was revenue neutral. In the end, his bill got stripped down to nine pages, (laughs) from 429 to nine. And all it was, was essentially a cut in the personal tax rate. But then other things happened. We've got a corporate rate tax cut. Earlier this week, in one of the committees, I believe, they flagged that there was a $60 million error. Yeah, it's only $60 million. Which happens, I guess, um, you know, in this this corporate tax cut bill. And so when lawmakers found that, they said, you know what, we're not going to go 
all out on this corporate tax, but we are going to, what passed was going from 6.25% to 4%. And it also, um, you know, it, it, it makes up for some of the state revenue that's lost too when you do taxes like that. Uh, it is... Um very much in question, certainly on the minds of Democratic lawmakers, and I think some Republicans as well, whether this uh, this revenue reduction is really going to be offset uh, by any kind of growth or by uh, by any kind of cuts to spending, um, or at least if there have to be cuts to spending, what those will be. Um, there's a lot of concern, you know, revenue has been brought down over the last several years in Missouri. Um, does this mean cuts to education in the future? Does it mean cuts to higher education, to social services. Those are really the only areas where there's much room for, for flexibility. Right. And interestingly, in the last couple of weeks, the Wall Street Journal put out a story bucking the usual narrative across the country of saying that states, you know, don't have any money, they don't have any money. Well, there are some states who are starting to see revenues in- increase, and that's been after the federal tax cuts. But you also now have state tax cuts and federal tax cuts that are going to be working together. So it's kind of difficult to know exactly what the impact's going to be. One thing we do know, of course, the state passes a budget every year. And uh, the big headlines around the budget this session were in school funding. School funding, that's right. And uh, they gave an extra $98 million to K-12 through schools. Now, they will say it's fully funded. Um, Republicans tend to say it's fully funded. The funding mechanism changed in the last couple of years, so Democrats tend to argue against that. But suffice it to say, uh, $98 million is quite a bit for schools. And also public universities are going to have tuition raised by 1%. Now, there is kind of a, an extra step uh, in this in that they, they wanted to um, allow schools to raise their tuition by the rate of inflation plus up to 5%, but only if state funding gets cut the year before. So it's kind of this situation where they're they're going to start trying to play a little bit with the levels. It's actually a really interesting provision because it it almost gives leverage to the the state's colleges and universities sort of daring the legislature to cut their funding each year now. Right. Um, I I don't know of anything previously adopted that's like that um, affecting the the state's higher education program. And I think it's important to note that this this provision is coming after a couple years where the governor was really looking to cut and, and did cut higher education quite significantly last year. This year, lawmakers didn't go for it. So all of this adds up to sort of a lot of conservative victories for the most part. Still, there are a lot of things that didn't pass during this session, uh, including some that would also be identified as Republican or conservative priorities. Some of those, I mean, let's start with with guns, which got a lot of attention this year, obviously because of uh, because of the shootings in the news and because of the movement of students from uh, Florida to to call for changes. Uh, folks on both sides actually had changes in the in the lineup. Yeah, even on the last day of the session, we had another school shooting in Texas. So, you know, gun rights activists were looking to uh, get rid of gun-free zones. Um, they wanted to keep cities and counties from from prohibiting open carry, which is legal in Missouri. Uh, none of those happened. And then gun safety advocates were really looking to limit who could buy a gun. That also fell short. One of the things that really stood out to me this session uh, was that some of the efforts at further restricting abortion rights in the state um, did not end up succeeding. And of course, you know, Erica, Missouri already has some of the most restrictive abortion regulations. That's true. Uh, you know, we're not as strict as our neighbors to the north. Iowa just passed 
a ban, which is obviously going to be challenged as early as six weeks, that you could not have an abortion after that. Missouri was looking to ban abortions after 22 weeks gestation. The reasons behind that, they said, was at least the people who were backing the the bill, was that a fetus can feel pain at that point in the pregnancy. Now, that's an extremely disputed claim. And while it passed in the House, uh, it didn't even come up for a vote in the Senate. And then, of course, there's pot. Pot. You've covered pot. We have covered pot. That's correct. I don't mean you personally. I mean, (laughs) as a reporter, you've covered pot. Right. Uh, Well, so... Medical, it was kind of a surprise it passed in the House this year, and it kind of everybody went, Whoa, what the heck? It got to a committee for the Senate, and so there were a couple different measures. The first measure was going to make it pretty broadly available uh, medical marijuana, of course. The expanded list of, of qualifying conditions was taken down to just terminal patients and people with intractable epilepsy, and it would have been non smokable. And Kansas City Democrat Jason Holzman kind of lifted up his hand and said, wait, hang on, Uh, this is too small and it doesn't benefit the state. And so that bill died in the Senate. But we'll be talking about it some more, won't we? It is. You have another chance. Uh, You know, voters will have a chance to, to weigh in on this. So... There was more than the required amount of signatures for this petition initiative. Um, essentially, there's 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 three proposals, um, but the main one is being pushed by New Approach Missouri. Uh, under that, people with cancer, glaucoma, chronic conditions, HIV, AIDS, it's a whole raft of medical ailments, which, you know, is, is not usual. Generally, there's about 30 to 40 in each state that will qualify for that. Um, they could use medical cannabis. And doctors could be able to decide if you have a different condition. That's unusual. Uh, generally, it is, it is more restrictive than that. So um, medical will be on the November ballot. Finally, let's note one other thing that will be on the ballot, uh, and that's uh, this proposal known as Clean Missouri. Um, the, the legislature failed, as it has for many years, to take action that it says it wants to take, most many individual years. members, yeah. to ban gifts to lobbyists. Finally, this will be on the ballot for voters to consider doing. Um, the, the Clean Missouri proposal would ban lobbyist gifts beyond $5 in value. Uh, it would lower campaign contribution limits even further than voters already have. Um, it would keep lawmakers from the revolving door, so-called, from becoming yeah. uh, lobbyists right after they get out of office. You have to wait two years before you could. And you could probably find bipartisan support for most of those proposals. But what you wouldn't find bipartisan support for is another element of the Clean Missouri uh, initiative, which is to change the way redistricting happens in Missouri. Redistricting. Everybody's favorite, uh, to use the word I just did, puzzle. Uh. <laughs> they they want to put a, a nonpartisan expert in charge of uh, of that process rather than politically appointed commissions. Uh, Missouri already has... Um, a somewhat less political process than some states. Very much They so. are commissions, that, but they are chosen by the parties. Uh, this would sort of take it out of uh, the party's hands. It still would have to be approved ultimately, uh, and and that is raising uh, the, the possibility that, that you might have more impasses. We'll see how this goes. We're going to hear a lot more about redistricting in the, in the months ahead. Every year, a lot of bills that get a lot of attention, even some with bipartisan support, simply don't make it to the end. One of those this year was put together by Senator Jason Holzman. 
and I have to say he was pretty ticked off about how that went down. Um, in the 12 years I've been in the legislature, I've never worked harder on a piece of legislation than I did on this piece of legislation. He's a Democrat from Kansas City. He's now served nearly 14 years in the legislature, and the bill he's referring to would have gone even further than the Clean Missouri Initiative. It would have banned most lobbyist gifts, and it also would have done something else. It would have changed term limits for legislators. Well, it would have uh, improved the knowledge of legislators by giving them more time to study their craft and, and understand the process. And it would have reduced the influence of lobbyists by banning lobbyist gifts entirely. It was tough getting out of the Senate, but we got it out 20 to 12. Uh, we made it through both committees in the House without having an amendment uh, to change the bill substantively and got it all the way to the floor. It came on the calendar Thursday morning, so there was 36 hours that the floor leader could have brought up the bill at any point in time. And um, he gave a commitment to me on Thursday that he would bring it up for a vote. And I was very careful to always use the same phrase, will you bring this bill up for a vote? Um, and, and we shook hands on it on Thursday. Uh, and then he waited until 5.30 to bring the bill up, which is disrespectful in and of itself. 5.30 on the last day of the session. With 30 minutes left to go before session, he brought the bill forward. So that, that in and of itself uh, was sort of disingenuous on his commitment to uh, allow this bill to come up for a vote. The second part of the plan was they were going to try to amend it. It was clear that leadership opposed passage of this bill. Uh, both the speaker and the floor leader voted for both amendments that were offered, indicating that they wanted to see the bill die. And these amendments were not uh, just little tweaks. These would have really changed the focus of the bill, right? Well, the single comma change would have killed the bill. Um, because with, then, it couldn't have, then it wouldn't have been approved by the Senate. Right. It would have gone back to the Senate. Right. So they knew that was the plan. Right. The plan was is for them to amend the bill uh, so that it would die. And then he wouldn't have to keep his commitment to bring it up for a vote because once it got amended, then it was dead and, and they wouldn't have to see it through. But what they hadn't counted on is how hard I worked to communicate with members of the House and uh, the House members agreed that we need to see a change in the General Assembly, that you have five House members for every one senator, and four good legislators are going to be told to go home after eight years when all that institutional knowledge they've gained are going to go with them. And uh, that puts bureaucrats and lobbyists in firm control of the process, and they wanted to see a change there. And they also agreed that banning lobbyists gives its time to do that, and they wanted to give the voters of Missouri the chance to, to have, a, have a say. So both the amendments are defeated, which right. means now, theoretically, you can go ahead and vote on the bill as it was written. Yeah, we had about 13 minutes left in session. So with 13 minutes left, after that second amendment failed, it was clear to leadership, including uh, Representative Vescovo, that we had the votes to pass this out of the House. And that wasn't a part of their plan. Mm -hmm. Their plan was to, to not give enough time to have this come to a vote so that, that he wouldn't have to commit, keep his commitment to me. And then once it was clear that it was going to pass, he used his power unilaterally to deny the people the access to, to vote on lobbyist gifts. And, so they didn't vote the previous question to move no, to a vote? No, he did not. He, he just laid it on the, on the table. He just uh, said that bill will hold its place on the calendar and uh, thereby denying a chamber clearly in support of this legislation, the opportunity to vote on and it. And at 6 o'clock, all the bills die. At so 6 o'clock, session's now. over, and it's done. The proposed initiative known as Clean Missouri, it's got signatures from thousands around the state, will be on the ballot in November. It also bans gifts from lobbyists. Actually, it limits gifts from lobbyists to $5. Right, which is better than what we have now. Um, do you do you support that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and to be honest, I, I'm going to try to change term limits again, even though 
uh, it'll miss a window for me to be able to run. This wasn't about me. This, this was about improving the General Assembly. We're going to try again because what we have right now is unsustainable. In January 1st of 2021, there will be 20 senators and 81 members of the House with less than two years' experience. That's, that's a majority in both chambers that have never done this job before. In any profession, experience matters. And I know that sometimes politics gets in there and, and you, there's a, it's pleasant to say throw the bums out because you're upset about how it's going, but a majority of the people there are good at their job, they're professionals, it, it's a craft, it's, it's something that you don't walk in understanding how it works. You have to fail at it first uh, before you really understand what it means to succeed. And I think that, um, you know, Rob Vescovo robbed the state of being able to uh, fix a problem that's in desperate need of fixing. With the term limits uh, changes not passing, uh, this does that that ensures that this is your last term uh, in yep. the Senate, which which is what you assumed before anyway. Yep. Uh, you have two years left. Yep. How do you want to make your mark in your last two years in the Senate? Well, I, I, I want to first make sure that because of term limits, that those who come behind me understand what it means to be a senator, um, the independency of the Senate, the ability for a senator to tell a lobbyist no, the, the, tell a donor no, to say that this is not what's good for my constituents. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to maybe vote uh, in a way that's not right for my party. That's what a senator does. And unfortunately, when, you, when a senator finally learns how to be a senator, they're termed out. And, and again, this is why I was so uh, bullish on getting this term limit change in front of, of the people, to, because this is a problem. You, get, you spend your first term in the I don't know phase in the Senate, and you have four years to kind of figure out how the process works as a senator. And then you get reelected to your second and final term, and you spend that four years, and, and this didn't apply to me, but oftentimes, uh, it's I don't care. You know, first session is I don't know. Second session is I don't care. <laughs> and you change your constituency. In your first term, you have to get reelected. And so your constituency is those who are going to vote for you again to stay there. In your second term, because you cannot get reelected, your constituency changes to either you want to run statewide. So now you're worried about voters in Christian County instead of the ones who sent you to office. You want to become a lobbyist. So now you're worried about the clients and the, and the corporations who are going to ultimately fund and hire your lobby career. So you start putting them at the center of your decision making. It, it really has wreaked havoc on institutional memory and skill sets that need to develop over time to create good policy. So where are you you've, on, on that? You, you've got two years left. Are you in the I don't care camp then? No, I'm in the I'm going to train as many people as I can to understand what it means to be a senator. And I think that if, if, any, if my legacy walking out isn't that I passed a bunch of legislation or, you know, and I, I think that we've done a fair amount of protecting the state from, uh, from policy that I would otherwise deem as, as detrimental, and I will continue to do that. Uh, I'm not as focused on uh, passing legislation in my final two years as I am on holding the line on good government and good policy and making sure that we restore the natural order of things between the Senate and the House. I think that that clearly, um, based on what happened on the last hour of the session, that needs to be adjusted. So um, I'm going to work on that. Mm -hmm. and just going to work on making sure that those who come after me are are doing the right thing by the people of the state of Missouri. So that's a wrap on this year's legislative session. 
the regular session, that is. But don't unsubscribe quite yet. An historic special session that will consider the impeachment of Missouri Governor Eric Greitens is already underway. Our show is produced by Matt Hodap. Don't forget to follow me all week long on Twitter. I'm at PTS Brian. We may take a week or two away, but don't worry. We'll be back whenever there are developments in the Greitens story right here with another edition of Statehouse Blend, Missouri. I'm Brian Ellison. Thanks for listening. Thank you.